one of the things that we try to do here at Cross Point is uh, is model in the midst of our service the way that we might would approach God in prayer. So we come to Him in the beginning, the call to worship with a time of adoration where we begin by praising God. And then as we move through the service, we also have a time where we bring our confession before the Lord, right? We confess to the Lord. Uh, and then as we move closer toward the sermon, like just before the sermon, we we take a moment to thank God and to petition God as we're opening up his word. And so I want to invite you to do that with me now. Let's join our hearts in prayer once more. Father in heaven, we want to say thank you for your faithfulness. We have been reminded through the service as we have sung and worshipped you of your faithfulness to us. We've also been reminded, God, of even our unfaithfulness as we have confessed that before you. God, we thank you that you love us, that you are never changing, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, we thank you that you desire relationship with us, your creation. So this morning as we come before you, Lord, we, we are laying our hearts before you We submit to the authority of your word. We submit to the authority of your sovereign hand in our lives. And Lord, we we surrender to the joy of walking in this relationship with you. We surrender, God, to the joy of engaging in your kingdom work. Lord, this morning, I'm particularly mindful of what our city has just gone through and our state with the election. And so, Lord, this morning, we want to be faithful, as you have commanded us, to pray for our elected leaders. And so, Lord, we pray for those who have been elected um, over the course of the last 24 hours. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you have, uh, that you, you even hold leadership, governmental leadership in your hand. We ask, God, that you would place those of influence who have wisdom from you uh, in the the close counsel of the elected officials. We ask, God, that by your Holy Spirit, you would lead, guide, and direct them to work good on behalf and justice on behalf of the people of Louisiana and of Baton Rouge. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would be exalted in our state. Lord, we specifically petition you this morning on behalf of the church, not just Cross Point, but the church across Baton Rouge and across this state and ultimately across the globe. Lord, you are a global God, and we ask that you would strengthen us as your people. We pray, Father, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would renew us, our hearts, our minds, refresh us, God, through the truth and the hope of your word. And I pray, Lord, that as we open up your word this morning, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to love your word. And now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we approach... 2 Timothy chapter 4 this morning, we come to the final sermon 
in 2 Timothy, and we've been walking through 2 Timothy for the past two months, and as we have, we have seen just this passionate plea from Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy, to guard the faith, uh, to fan into flame the gift of God. You know, but as, as we have been uh, walking through Timothy, and even as I approach this last sermon, uh, I, I began thinking about just the time of season we're in. We're, we're two weeks from beginning our Advent series called the, the Carols of Christmas from Luke's Gospel. And, you know, one of the main reasons I like to call our attention to the church calendar and focus on Advent is because we need to be reminded that the hope of Christmas points us beyond the Incarnation. The Incarnation is the first half of the Christmas story, but the Christmas story is also about the hope of Christ's return. And that's what Advent speaks to. It means arrival. It means Christ is coming. He's returning. He's coming again. And so, you know, I, as we read through Second Timothy and I studied through Second Timothy, I recognize that this is one of the great and hopeful refrains that the Apostle Paul writes about, that Christ is returning. There was an urgency with which Paul lived his daily life. His life was oriented around and toward the great hope and great certainty of Christ's return. And, you know, as I reflected on this, my thought is, like, I want this for my family, that our lives would be oriented around this great and central hope of Christianity, that Christ is returning because he rose from the grave. Because he said he's coming back, he is coming back. I want this for my own life, like daily. I, I, I want this to be part of the focus of my mind. I want it for my family. I want it for our congregation. I want it for the children in our congregation. So last week we looked at 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, and we saw the, the joy of faithfulness for Paul. And in the midst of looking at that text, it's kind of the, the classic text in 2 Timothy, but in the midst of looking at that text, we saw these grand statements that Paul made, statements about being poured out as a drink offering, right? In, in other words, statements about him living his life in a sacrificial way. Uh, he was literally, he said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. He, he made these statements about fighting the good fight, keeping or finishing the race and keeping the faith. He even said, there's a crown laid up for me, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. But then the good news was, he says, not only for me, but it's for everyone who has loved Christ's appearing. And then I thought about it, you know, as we look at that text, think about it, apply it maybe to our lives, meditate on it. We possibly could walk away from a sermon like that or from a text like that thinking, you know, to have a mindset like Paul is unattainable. What's the use? And if we didn't walk away that way, it certainly is possible we could wake up on Monday morning feeling that way and thinking that kind of a thought. Perhaps we think this because Paul was an apostle or because he penned 13 New Testament books or because he was, he was the one used by God to spread the gospel first among the Gentiles. There might be a whole host of other reasons we would tend to think things like that or thoughts like that when we read such strong words and majestic words from the Apostle Paul, but I want you to know he was a man. He was a man of human stature. He was a person just like us. 
And I, I'm pointing this out because I think in our minds we, we tend to build up certain biblical characters. Old Testament or New Testament characters. Guys in the New Testament like Peter and Paul and James and John. We, we build them up to maybe a higher level of humanity but not quite the level of divinity. We look at them as almost superhuman or close to perfection. As close to perfection as one can get the side of heaven. And so this week the appeal of 2 Timothy, I believe, shows us this kind of helpful balance of, of Paul's human condition. And, and I think one of the things that we need to, to grasp from the passage this morning is that Paul's human condition is the playing field in which he lives out his holy calling. In other words, the experience of emotion in our humanity doesn't mean that we somehow become less holy or somehow fail to live as God has called us to. I hope that becomes clear as we walk through this text this morning. And if we drill down on this hopeful truth, it's encouraging to us. So, so first this morning, I want to invite you to consider why God provides friendship for our faith journey. God provides friendship for our faith journey. And here's what I hope for us to see this morning. I hope that we will see friendship is a gift from God to help us run the race of faith. That's simple, right? Friendship is a gift from God to help us run the race of faith. And it's simple, but it's profoundly important. So God provides friendship for our faith journey. Look at what he says in verse, well, let's read the text. I'm sorry, I haven't read it yet. Let's read from verses 9 through 22. Follow along as I read. Do your best to come to me soon. For Damas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and the parchments, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then final greetings, he says, Greet Prisca and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. As we consider what Paul is saying here in verse 9, he says to Timothy, Timothy, come quick. Do your best to come quickly. And again in verse 21, do your best to come before winter. You know, Paul's love for Timothy is as a son in the faith, is clear through his writing and his ministry. They had a strong ministry together, and Timothy was a disciple of Paul. And 
Paul left Timothy at the church of Ephesus to lead the church. If you flip back to chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, you kind of see some of this, some of this heartfelt introduction that Paul gives about Timothy. He says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. He says, I remember your tears and I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. You know, remember, this is, this is Paul saying to Timothy, look, Timothy, when you're around, you bring joy in my life, right? Like there's this, there's this bond and this friendship and it's, it's rooted in this, the kingdom of God. It's rooted in this fellowship centered around Christ. So Paul says, I long to be filled with joy. I'm, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, right? There's this, this closeness between Paul and Timothy. And Paul's love for Timothy is also clear through the appeal that he makes to Timothy. He, he says, fan into flame the gift of God. He goes on in, in, in verse 15 to say, you're aware that all who are in Asia have turned away from me. And so part of the reason he's saying, come, I've been deserted. And then he, he highlights the, the ministry that Onesiphorus had to him. In chapter 1, verse 16, he, he came and he stood with Paul. And now Paul is asking Timothy to come because he's at the end of his life, right? Remember, he's in prison. He's on the equivalent of death row that we would say today. He's in prison and he's lonely at the end of his life. And I'm pointing this out and trying to contrast kind of what we saw last week in this majestic claim from Paul. And, and now we see him asking for his friend to come? And my, my point is, it, it's not that his faith is faltering or that he doubts God's goodness. It's simply that he needs a friend. In the midst of the hardship and the trial that he's walking through, he needs a friend. Have you ever been in a hard place or felt lonely and in desperate need of a friend? I want us to see the predicament and the real need of our humanity. It's not wrong to need a friend. It's not wrong to depend on others. This is what community is all about, in fact. If you think all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone, right? And so he, he created a helper, Adam and Eve, husband and wife, companionship. But it goes beyond companionship. There, there is a, a need within our humanity for community. And generally speaking, companionship is a, it's a good gift from God to us. We are his creation. And if we, if we miss this small truth, we might miss one of the most basic blessings God has given us in life. And so Paul says, come, come quick, Timothy. Come to me soon. So So Paul all but demands Timothy leave his post in Ephesus and come to Rome as soon as possible because he needs a friend who can help him. Help him what? Help him die a martyr's death. He can help him finish strong. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we we need one another to run the race of faith. It's that simple. We can't run this race by ourselves. I mean, there are others around him. Look at the very last section of 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 the chapter, of chapter 4, right? He says, uh, do your best to come before win- winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you. Pudens, as do Linus and Claudia and all the brothers, right? There are others around. There are others on the journey, but he longs for close friendship of a few. He longs for that close inner circle. He needs it. 
you know, it's, it's almost certain that there will be some along the journey who desert us. And one who is really close to him has deserted him. His name is Damas. That's what happened to Paul. So we see in verse 10 a story of desertion. Undoubtedly, Paul feels isolation in prison. Here he singles out the abandonment of a close and trusted friend, Damas, in love with this present world, he says, has deserted me, right? Ever been deserted, felt deserted by somebody? It's terrible. It's lonely. It's heartbreaking and heart-wrenching. But a little background on Damas. Damas had been a faithful co-worker, co-laborer in the gospel with Paul. In fact, during Paul's first imprisonment, Damas was there with him. So was Luke. And he talks about it in chapter 4, verse 14 of Colossians. He says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as he's writing in the letter of Colossians, as does Damas. Damas was there with him in prison. Philemon 24, he does a similar thing in the closing greeting, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So he had been with Paul through many ups and downs. But there was something about the situation in Rome that had pushed Damas to the point of desertion. I don't think Paul means that Damas left the faith, but what he does say is telling. He says, Damas, in love with this present world, in love with this present world, perhaps it was a longing for his own comfortable residence. Maybe it was the wearisomeness with Paul's situation as he was, as he was there in prison and needed a constant companion and friend. The reality is, Damas loved his own life more, and he considered removing the pain of his own suffering ahead of considering the needs of his brother. Love for this present world or this present age can take, it can take many shapes and it can take many forms. And so here, it's intentionally general, and it's intentionally indicting when we read it. One of the questions that we have to ask ourselves as we read it is, are there evidences in my life, in our lives, that we are in love with this present world? That our affections for things of the world outshine our affections for the things of Christ? Are there evidences in our lives that we are in love with this present world? The problem in Damas' case was that it, it kept him from faithfulness to Christ because he abandoned one of Christ's servants in his greatest moment of need. So he is about to stand trial before the Roman court. You know, love for this present world could be shaped as, as comfort or it can take the form of wealth or it can come in the shadow side of, of fame or it could... It could be the love of specific things, material things. It could be a whole host of different things. But it comes in a sneaky way because it subverts our affection for Christ. And it replaces our affection for Christ with things for the world. You know, it's interesting to note that Paul seems to be contrasting a love for the present world with all who love his appearing. Right? Remember that from last week? Look at verse 8. 
Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Skip down to verse 10. For Damas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. There seems to be some contrast that Paul is, is piggybacking on here or making here. So like, like Damas, every Christian is susceptible to the lure of the world, to falling away in our relationship with Christ. I think this is one of the reasons why Paul so adamantly remarked or told Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Fan into flame the gift of God that's been bestowed on you, right? Work at it. Don't give up. It's a daily work, a daily routine. It's a daily discipline. Keep doing these things. See, our work of pursuing Christ only begins when we surrender our lives to his lordship. It doesn't end until we pass away from this life or until the Lord returns. But let me say, this, this should not sound like a burdensome thing for spirit-filled believers, for God's children who have his spirit dwelling within us. It's the great hope of our enduring faith. So let's take note of Paul's words about Damas and the heartache that it caused Paul And let's be mindful of the race that God has called us to run together as a community of faith, as friends lifting one another up. You know, what was really interesting to me, you remember last year, well, it's probably far from your mind, but I'll remind you. Last year, Tara, it was this year, January of this year, Tara ran the marathon, the Baton Rouge Marathon. And so we, we missed church on Sunday because this was something that she had planned to do and they hold it on Sunday morning. Uh, and so this was like, she, she had turned 40, given all of her dirty laundry now. I keep digging a hole here. Um, so anyway, so she ran this race. And what was so interesting to me was uh, there, there's a church, Grace Mid-City, Grace that Crosspoint uh, helped to do the replant with. So they go out because you can't get to their campus on Sunday morning. So they go out to a particular station. And so they're at like mile eight leaving and mile 13 or mile 17 coming back in on the race, right? So you run out and run back in this marathon. And so they're there, they're handing out energy, energy strips, they're handing out water, Gatorade, whatever, they're cheering people on. You see people from the crowd jump in and along the race and start running with those who are kind of lagging behind or who are struggling. You can see them struggling. So there's just this, this cheering on and this rooting that's happening, and when, when I see that, I think that is how the Christian, that's how the Christian faith is to be lived out. In the midst of this enduring race, the goal isn't like to be the first one there, right? The goal is to finish. And we, we come alongside one another. We jump in the race with each other, right? And, and we run together. That's what Paul's saying here. Look, I've been deserted, abandoned. Timothy, you got to come quick. I need a friend to help me finish strong. You've heard my words. Finish strong. I've run the race. I've finished the faith. But now I need you here to help me do it, right? A lot of times that's kind of what we feel in the midst of this burden that we carry, perhaps, or in the midst of this struggle with temptation and sin, There is this need to run the race together 
You know, my greatest heartaches in ministry haven't come from enemies outside the church, from, but from those who are within the church family. It's amazing how we can beat each other up. It's amazing how we can speak so nasty to each other and tear each other down, which is the exact opposite reason or the exact opposite thing God has called us to do. So let me close out this little point by saying, friends, where do our affections lie? We, in love with the things of the world, which draw our attention away from Christ and this race that he's called us to run, or our affections upon Christ, longing for his appearing, running strong, exhibiting friendship. We move quickly here. Not only do we see a story of desertion, we see a story of restoration. I love the words that Paul writes here because it's the exact opposite of what has happened with Damas. In verse 11, he, he tells Timothy, get Mark and bring him with you. He's useful to me for ministry. You know what's so refreshing about those words? At one point, early on in Paul's ministry, when he and Barnabas were missionaries teamed up together, you can go back and read the book of Acts. And early on, there's this young guy named John Mark. And John Mark was on this first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. And you know what John Mark did? He deserted him. He left. He went back home. And because of that, there became this great rift between Paul and Barnabas, and they separated and went their own way. Because Barnabas said, no, let's give him another chance, and Paul said, absolutely not. He deserted us. And then now we read here, some 20 years later, at the end of Paul's life, he's in a jail cell alone, and who does he request to come and be with him in his final moments? Mark. John Mark. This guy that had deserted him years before. How incredible. How incredible. This ought to be encouraging for us because if we find ourselves that we've, we've been in love with this present world and our affections for Christ have gone cold, here is a word for you. There's a chance to return from the halls of apathy to the kingdom path, to the things of Christ. There's a road back. There's a road of restoration. There's, there's a path for the redeemed. There's a path for you to walk. Walking by the Spirit of God who dwells in us. Let us run the race together. We also see a picture of loyalty and faithfulness in verses 11 and 12. Luke, you could call him Luke the loyalist. He's been a constant companion for Paul. Most likely as a doctor, he tended to Paul's physical and medical needs, perhaps even, even served as the scribe for Paul to write the letters that, that Paul has, has written. But, you know, Luke offers us an incredible picture of loyalty and faithfulness. And I, I would just simply say to us, everyone needs brothers and sisters in Christ who will be a steadfast presence in their lives. You need it, I need it, we all need it, and we see that in the person and the work of Luke. The story of Tychicus is also encouraging because most likely it was Tychicus that Paul had dispatched to go to Ephesus and to remain in Ephesus to deliver the letter that we're reading now, but then to remain in Ephesus and keep shepherding the church there while Timothy departed and came to be with Paul. And 
You know, each of these names offers us a window into the story and the life of Paul and his ministry. It's a window into the greater working of God that's going on all around us. A a, a window by which we might see a small yet profound hope that God desires to use each of us in advancing his kingdom. And that there is no... There is no part that we play too small or insignificant in God's economy because we're all running the race of faith for Christ together. But We also see a story of deep commitment from Paul in verse 13. In this deep commitment we see is, you know, Paul on death row. If you were on death row, what, what might you request? Right? Like what would be your final request? You've probably never thought about that before, so you can think about it later. You know, this might seem like an odd question, but this is his reality. Notice, notice for Paul, he asked for his friends to come and visit him, right? He needs his friends with him. And then he asked for a cloak to warm his physical body, his physical needs. And then, then he asked for the books and the parchments. He wants to study Scripture. Uh, we don't know the exact content of the books and the parchments. It's obvious that he... He wanted them to continue his study and his writing and his work around God's word. He wanted to continue enriching his faith and thinking about how God's word influenced his life. He wanted to continue drawing strength from the hope of God's word. Here's the thing. His commitment to Christ was unwavering. You see, yeah, but he was the apostle Paul. Yeah, but he was a human just like you and me. He had the same nature as us. Do we have this kind of longing to study God's word? Do we have this kind of need to to place God's word of as utmost importance in our lives? This fits with having a love for Christ's appearing. Paul was a man who had surrendered his life to follow Christ. Isn't that what all Christians have done? Surrendered our lives to follow Christ. He gives Timothy and Mark a warning as they come. Watch out for Alexander the metal worker, the coppersmith. He's probably the one that caused Paul to be put in prison. We don't know what he did, but Paul says he did me great harm, and he warns Timothy and Mark that they need to be on guard against him because... He strongly opposed the message of the gospel. And I just want to simply say here, we will encounter those who strongly oppose the message of the gospel. Those who might even want to harm us physically because of the message. But listen to what Paul says. Listen. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. You know, oftentimes we're set on retribution, revenge. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't pursue justice when we have avenues and are able to pursue justice. But Paul's concern wasn't retribution or revenge. Paul's concern was to protect his fellow brothers as they arrived safely and to allow the Lord to deal with Alexander. So God provides friendship as a gift. He provides friendship as a gift from his hand so that we might continue running the race 
keeping the faith. And as we consider Paul and his plea to Timothy to come and to bring Mark, I want to encourage you to recognize the need for this friend, this blessing of God in your life to be the friend to others, to help them run the race, to run the race together, to not try to do and live this Christian life on your own, but to run the race together with others. You need the encouragement from one another. We need the encouragement from one another. The final point I want to make this morning is God provides strength to his children in the last section of 2 Timothy. God provides strength to his children. You know, when someone deserts us, it's painful. And when we're, when we're going through a, a deep trial and feel abandoned, it's easy, <clears throat> easy to become bitter. Notice what Paul says there in verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. All deserted me, right? So Paul is in court. He's going before, in, probably in the amphitheater, and he's going before the Roman uh, court, and it's a, it's a public thing. All in Rome are able to come. It's not behind some closed door, but all who are there in Rome are able to come, and Paul is there before everyone. It was in that very moment in a very public court with many Roman citizens in attendance that Paul found himself facing a life-or-death situation. Trumped-up charges against Christians in this day were common for saying that they were they're cannibals because they ate the body and drank the blood of Christ in the Lord's Supper, or, or they were painted as undermining the government because they had loyalty to King Jesus and other things. But ultimately, Paul was in prison, probably on some charge in this, in this vein. And Paul would probably have been given an opportunity to recant as he's on trial. And so as he's there in court before everyone, he's been abandoned. No one is there to make a defense for him. No one is there to be a witness for him. And as he stands there and reflects on that moment, he says, the Lord stood by me. The Lord stood by me. God strengthened him. God gave him strength for the mission that he had called him to. Before we move, move on to that in verse 17, I want you to notice what he says where he extends grace in verse 16. He says, may it not be charged against them. Now, that's an incredible statement to make. Think about all the things that I've said leading up to this point where he's been abandoned, he's, he's there on trumped up charges, all of these All of these variables factoring in, he says, may the Lord not count it against them. He's not talking about those who are holding court and about to judge him. He's talking about those in the faith who have abandoned him. A simple phrase is so weighty. How often do we hold grudges for less? How often do we rebuff people for looking at us the wrong way? How often do we suffer disagreements, and withhold forgiveness from others. I think it's important to note here that forgiveness, letting go of bitterness and anger and grudges, is hugely important in the Christian life. 
May the Lord not count it against them. Would you be able to say that if you were facing death, brought out before the court, and all those who were your friends had left? I mean, he's talking about Damas, the guy who's been with him. He's just straight up abandoned him. May the Lord not hold it against them. Paul demonstrates grace toward those who have deserted him. And I think we can learn to be gracious with one another for far less wrong that's been done to us, can we not? Let us hear this kind of implicit challenge here from Paul's example at the end of his life. May the Lord not hold it against them. But we also see strength for the mission in verse 17. And he says, although no one stood with him, with me, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Paul's saying, all glory to Christ. He says, my friends, my co-laborers were absent from me. I felt abandoned. But here's what happened. In the midst, in the moment of my greatest need, though all of my friends left me, Jesus was there. He stood by me. The Lord stood by me. He didn't leave me in my greatest moment of need, and he strengthened me. The Lord gave me inward strength, is what he's saying. And then Paul, he stood up and he preached. He says, the, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles, so that all of them might hear it. This message that he was proclaiming to all of the Gentile world in Rome who had gathered for this courtroom scene. They're all there in the amphitheater. And Paul, talking about being the ultimate model of being ready in season and out of season, he stands before the civil magistrates and the court and all of the Roman officials and before all of the people, and he proclaims the gospel message of Jesus Christ from his first appearing the incarnation, which we will celebrate this Advent season, to his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and the hope and certainty of his return. He is proclaiming this to all of the Gentile world. Paul says, the Lord strengthened me to do this. He strengthened me to announce Jesus as Lord. Paul's an incredible model for Timothy, is he not? but he is also an incredible model for all Christians. Friends, don't doubt that God will strengthen you to do his kingdom work. Don't doubt that God will strengthen you to live faithfully for him. Don't doubt that God will strengthen you to announce Jesus is Lord and to stand on the truth of that proclamation. He will strengthen you. Finally, this morning we end with this this truth that Paul celebrates. It's confidence in God's rescue. Confidence in God's rescue. It's almost certain that Paul isn't referring to an actual lion at the end of verse 17. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth, but instead, metaphorically speaking, about the government, most likely about Nero. He was a Roman citizen, so historically... Lions wouldn't be in the amphitheater or even be able to attack Roman citizens in, uh, in, in the arena. And so 
I think the most likely scenario is that Paul's using this metaphor of the lion to refer to Nero and kind of to cast himself in the light as as somewhat of a New Testament Daniel for, for the protection of the Lord who shut the lion's mouth in that moment as he stood before the court and proclaimed the gospel. It was God who shut the lion's mouth. And in verse 18, he goes on to confidently say, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. You know, Paul's faith is built on the sure foundation of Christ as Lord. And he is absolutely 100% confident that nothing will happen to him outside of God's permissive will that no evil can come to him outside of what God would allow and that God will bring him safely into his heavenly kingdom. And so if we consider this letter to Timothy as a whole, he would, he would be in essence leaving this exhortation to Timothy. Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now come and see me before I die. I need your presence to finish strong. Grace be with you. This would be the challenge that he would leave with us as well. Guard the good deposit. Fan into flame the gift of God that's been entrusted to you. And be present with one another because you need each other to finish strong. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as we consider your word, there's so many things that you would say to us, aside from the words that I have even spoken this morning. I pray, God, that as you have spoken through me, and you have spoken to each of us this morning by your spirit, that you are working things in our heart and in our mind that you want to do. Bring us, O Father, to a place of, of confessional living before you. God, create within our faith community a a sense of community and friendship to run this race together. I pray, O Father, that you would use Crosspoint here in the midst of Baton Rouge to renew this city that, Lord, you would begin a work of renewal in our own hearts and minds, that you would strengthen us to run this race that you've placed before us. Lord, that you would strengthen us to live a a strong faith and to depend upon one another and to see one another as gifts that you have given us. And, Lord God, we pray that you would provide, you would give us strength in the midst of our difficult seasons. So, Lord, we pray this. In the strong and the powerful name of Christ our Savior, amen. Would you stand this morning?